Hey everyone, welcome to the Juicy Patterns podcast. Today with me, I have Mr. Erez Reznikov. Erez is a dear friend of mine. He's a principal designer at Jux. He's a design educator and a Figma and Webflow evangelist. And I have so many questions for him. Welcome, Erez. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Um, yes, there's, there's something about being called a mister at the age of 35 that sort of makes you feel like 55. So uh, thank you for that addition. I try to give the proper <laughs> respect. Yeah. Thanks a lot. So, Thanks a lot. so, so, so wait, are you going to buy the, the Figma uh, keyboard, the new Figma keyboard? No, I'm so against it. Like you cannot imagine how against I am. It's but like, why? I, you know, think about like, it as like a, a new experience for it. It's not just the, I'll, the I'll tell you why. Or, yeah. I'll tell you why. Um, for the same reason that generic solutions uh, usually outperform specific solutions in the sense that because I have a keyboard for many different apps, um, the last thing I want is to develop muscle memory for a new thing that will only be available for me and relevant for me for Figma, but not for anything else. And so instead of having a mouse, a trackpad, a keyboard, now I have mouse, trackpad, keyboard, and a special keyboard only for some occasions. It's like, I try to minimize that clutter in my life, not maximize it. So if, um, if, I, can, if, if I can have even less, I would, I would love to do that instead. But if, if you spend like so many hours in a day, like working uh, with the same app with Figma, like, don't you want like something that you, is special me for this thing? Do, do you know how many years it took me to develop the specific muscle memory for all the specific shortcuts in Figma that I've already developed for my keyboard? Now you want me to unlearn it and relearn something else? <laughs> Hell with that. I just recently learned uh, the shortcuts with uh, the line functionality mm -hmm. in Figma. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, you know it's it's a game changer. Like I don't know how I managed before it. So so wait. Um, yeah. Okay. You're a design educator. You're mm -hmm. teaching at Shankar uh, uh, College, College yeah. Engineering mm -hmm. and Design. You're a principal designer at Jux. So we'll talk about it. And you're a Figma and Webflow evangelist. What what does it mean? It means that um, very very early on, especially with uh, with Figma, um, I sort of got the gist of why I think that tool and that could be Figma in the case of Figma or Webflow in the case of Webflow um, is actually like the next the next big you know great thing. And uh, I started basically barking at every possible tree and opportunity that I uh, could muster. Uh, hey people, if you need to have a website, go do it in Webflow leave everything else you've ever tried aside and go to Webflow. And hey guys, if you're doing uh, product design with anything but Figma, drop it and go to Figma. So I started, I was the first in my company when I was working at Overwolf, I was the first one to sort of, you know, discover it. And uh, some six years ago, way before Figma was cool. And, uh, um, and I was blown away uh, in the comparison to the other tools I, I used. Uh, and immediately it was like, I was hooked. This was the only tool I used. And eventually I, 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 I felt so comfortable with that um, to the bemusement of all the other designers in Overwolf, I stopped using the Adobe suite almost completely. So I illustrated with Figma. I did everything I need 
like uh, uh, almost almost to the level of I developed all the assets for the animations in After Effects in Figma. It was still more comfortable for me than doing it in like Illustrator or XD or whatever. Um, so yeah, I just and then I just convinced everybody to to switch to Figma everywhere and um, and I joined um, another friend of ours, uh, Ido Deichmann, some almost five and a half six years ago, almost immediately. Uh, to run um, Friends of Figma Facebook group in Israel. Um, and we've been running it ever since. <laughs> That's amazing. I remember that I tried to convince people to move from Photoshop to Sketch and everyone like mm -hmm. laughed at me and eventually I told them. I, eventually they bought, the, they uh, built business models and like schools about Sketch and everything. And, and then yep. they uh, switched to Figma uh, I, I learned the lesson from it just to, to believe like in my gut feeling and, uh, yep. just move on. Wouldn't. Yeah. Totally. So, so we have a problem like the design industry. We have a big, big problem with, mm -hmm. uh, with how we design. Can you tell me what that problem is? Sure. Um, so we have many problems, but one problem that I'm particularly the, the big one, the big one, the big yeah. one, yeah. We have, um, yeah. So one of the things that happens when you start really, really loving and using a tool deeply and teaching it to others is that you know it in its totality. So there's 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 not a there's not a thing about um, about Figma, for example, that I didn't try or do eventually. Uh, you, you pick it apart. And when you do that, you start noticing the problems with the tool that you love and you pick apart. Because unlike nobody else, like, you know, it's like your spouse, right? You know them so well, you know all of their faults and all of their uh, misgivings and all of their problems better than, you know, sometimes better than they know themselves. So, um, and so one of the things that I've started noticing some probably three, four years ago is that, I'm constructing all these beautiful design system-like structures with auto layout when it came out and variant groups and making, you know, nice and tidy components and everything is super well thought of, thought of, you know, in the, in the realms of, you know, how much Figma allows me. Um, and eventually uh, it's still not it, like it's still not the actual thing because eventually the source of truth is not Sigma. The source of truth is whatever the front-end developers uh, understood from whatever they uh, took from your Sigma. And basically, it sort of um, it, 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 it creates a whole slew of problems, chief of which is an emotional problem. Uh, because um, um, your drive and motivation to work... <laughs> is driven by emotions a lot of the time. And if uh, repeatedly you see that you put a lot of effort into something, you, you craft it to the perfect perfection that you can, you know, uh, dream of, and then eventually it gets butchered by developers that sort of um, don't see properly, don't measure quite effectively, don't diligently go and check every size, color, and stuff. Uh, and eventually you get the product uh, in like the, uh, the, I don't know, the development environment. You inspect it. I mean, even before you even inspect it, like with the inspect elements, like just by looking at it, you're like, 
immediately, okay, things are off here. I did not design this crap. My thing was shiny, right? Why is this so, no, poor looking? And uh, when it happens again and again and again and again and again, eventually you start to develop cynicism. Um, and that cynicism, it's like poison. Um, because you start to sort of say to yourself, ah, you know, I'll do this one, I'll do that one. But it doesn't even matter because, you know, let them ship it and then we'll just uh, continue on from the real product and see how it goes. And so you start to sort of diminish your motivation for the craft itself. And, and once I sort of, once I've seen that this, this, this is what happens in my mind when I start designing and the, the dreaded, oh, come on, it couldn't be again. It's not like I designed. Um, it sort of completely throws you off. Um, and you only notice the, so, so sometimes, you know, it's like fish don't know that they're inside of water because they're always inside of water. In, in, in the same way, people that don't experience anything um, more self-allowing uh, than Figma, they don't know that something else is even available. And so only when I really started to dive into web It's like flow, dimensions. Like dimensions. Mm -hmm. When you're in the second dimension, you don't know that. You don't know that there's a the third, third one. And when you're yeah, in the there's third no one, depth. you don't know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And only when I actually started using Webflow deeply and I got this feeling of, hold on, I can be the, 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 the master of my fate, right? It's like I designed it and I published it and it was it. And there was nothing between me and the final product. At least and nothing in the terms of like the styling of things, the responsivity, the, the behavior of the design itself. Um, and that feeling got really addictive really fast uh, because you're empowered like you never were empowered before. And, um, and then it's like, wait a minute. So I know how it should feel um, in a tool like Webflow, but Webflow sort of, um, it sort of, only for websites and only for a specific kind of websites because for again now. web for now yeah, yeah webflow assumes there's no developer eventually coming coming to the rescue right it's like you as a designer with your webflow and that's it everything is you um yeah. and so um and that's a problem because you know web application native application complex things uh you can develop them in Webflow by yourself as a designer. It's like, it's not even close. It's not even remotely close. Um, yeah. And also Webflow has the, they did a piss poor job um, at making their code actually lovable by developers. So when I showed my websites to real developers, front-end developers, they looked at it and it's like, I would never use that. I would rather look at what you've done here, rewrite everything completely using my own React components and whatever. Even and right now in 2024? Even right now. Even right wow. now. Yeah. So, uh, so that sort of leaves you in this closed garden when you are a master of your fate, only insofar as your fate is marketing uh, websites, not too big, not too complex. It's a problem. But on the yeah. other hand, you have Figma, which is generic, and you can build whatever the hell you want with that, but it doesn't give you the reality, the, the full control the Webflow gives you. And you're sort of stuck in this situation where you know how it should feel, but it's only limited. And uh, you have the unlimited one, but it doesn't feel right. Um, and so there's a hole. There's, something needs to give. 
It eventually needs to be something in between those two, such that you can both feel the reality of it and be a master of the front of the front end, like the stylistic part of the, of the, of the front end, and still be uh, able to give that uh, product to developers so that they can bring in all the logic and all the data and all the connections and all of that. Don't you think that it's too much in a way like to, to as a designer, to, to think about user needs and to think about solution and like sketching everything and then like to, to do the prototyping from the early stages of low fidelity prototype and, and doing everything. It's another thing that you want to teach them. So don't you think that it's a bit too much? Well, uh, first of all, yes. Okay. The, the first answer is yes, it is overwhelming. Um, but the second part of the answer is, uh, fine. So what, uh, why? Because if you have, so if the span of potential, uh, things that designers should take care of is now wider, the only thing that you would expect the industry to do, um, is to stratify into different kinds of designers, right? So if now the span is wider, then, and it's too wide for any singular designer to be great at like all of the span, I think it's already too wide. Even before what I just uh, uh, alluded to that has to happen, even before that, I think that the span is too wide. You can't be a, mas you can't be a master researcher and also a master UI craftsman and also a master communicator and also strategy and blow it. It's too much already. Yeah, which means that um, you'll see, and you eventually do see, like if this is the reality, that designers start to sort of occupy niches. Like if you map everything on 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 the spectrum, right? You see, uh, designers occupy some of the potential verticals on that spectrum, but not all of them because it's just humanly impossible. What I envision is going to happen is that. Uh, and it already is sort of happening with Figma. If you like pay close attention, you'll see that there is the birth of a very technocratic and very sort of uh, analytical designer uh, that likes to create design systems. It's usually the designers that work in design ops in bigger, in bigger firms or bigger companies. Um, they don't like solve user needs by the day. They usually solve the other designers' uh, needs by crafting better components and better API of those components inside of the design system with the developers. And uh, they tend to be perhaps maybe sometimes less flamboyantly creative, uh, but they tend to be much more meticulous and they're less afraid of the technicalities of, of, of the real interactivity uh, you know, of how it represents itself in code. Um, sometimes they will also code slightly in like, you know, CSS, HTML, sometimes JavaScript. Um, so you already see that my, my only, uh, prognosis, right. The, the only thing that I think is going to happen is that I, I think it's going to, um, happen more and more and more up to the level. Will you, uh, will you have, um, something that you might call some, like something like a UI engineer ish kind of a, uh, position in which you're going to be very, very, very knowledgeable of how, you know, CSS works or how the reality of the, uh, of the code works. And if you have a good enough tool so that you can use it, something like Webflow, 
So for example, if you today want to use Webflow, the set of skills that you need to have and the set of knowledge that you have to, uh, uh, that you have to have in order to actually manipulate Webflow effectively is already pretty vast. So just imagine yeah. if you had, if you had a Webflow married to Figma in some way, such that it still can be generic, but it uses and gives you all of the reality of code as, you know, as UI, uh, such that you can create things. So it gives you units that are real, all the availability of Flexbox and CSS grid or whatever it needs to be, right? Um, you know, display positioning, the reality, not like, because, you know, Figma, Figma is hiding a lot from designers, from the real world, right? It's so like making whole... everything so beautiful and easy, but it's not how the real world, the real world works. Like, like mm -hmm. developing stuff, you know, I learned that when I first started using Webflow and I had to like manipulate all the screen sizes, like I had mm -hmm. an image and it was a disaster. And mm -hmm. like the, the Figma, the Figma design was amazing and everything. And it was approved by all the stakeholders and it was amazing. And eventually when I came to develop this thing, I had so many mm -hmm. problems and I learned that Figma is just, it's not enough. But it's my question enough, is, yeah, mm -hmm. but my question is like, I hear you. Okay. When you're talking about organizations, like big corporates, what? Startups, startups mm -hmm. usually have like one designer for almost a year and a half, maybe, maybe two years if they raise True. money. True. Okay. So, you know, and they usually you don't build a design system until you get to a point that you grow as a company. Mm -hmm. But again, if you're like giving more work to, to a designer in a startup, would you think that it will work as good as? In a, a big company, in an organization? Well, yeah. So first of all, of course, if you have less designers, they have to occupy wider spectrums. You might expect that they will perform more poorly on, um, on different tasks that they have, right? If you have only one designer and that designer needs to do marketing design, website design or website building in something like Febflow and also product design and also brand, like you should expect that unless you... You know, unless you discovered a unicorn designer that is like the next Einstein or Da Vinci, uh, but just modern age. Uh, other than that, uh, you'd probably come across a designer that has some things that he, you know, knows how to do better. And some things he's like sort of half-assing uh, just enough so that to clear the bar, to clear the threshold. But you need to remember that in startups, clearing the bar, clearing the threshold is sometimes just enough, Right. You just need to make it good enough so that they can uh, get more money from VCs and then get the second and the third and the fourth designer. So I don't really see a problem there. More than that, um, I think that if you have the like, if the right tool is created, um, then it's going to substitute some knowledge that you currently have, uh, for example, in a tool like Sigma for another type of knowledge in another tool. So it's not that you, uh, it's not that you always accumulate more and, or need to accumulate more and more knowledge. So I'll give you an example. So suppose, um, suppose we're talking about layout, okay? Um, if, you, if you try to see how layout works in Webflow, then you'll see that it has real display modes. So you have Flexbox and CSS grid and inline block and block and inline and none if you want to hide something. Okay, fine. What do you have in Figma? You have 
some new thing that doesn't exist outside of Figma, which is uh, either it's a normal frame and then you have constraints, which is like they correlate to position absolute in, in, in real life code. Um, and you have auto layout, which is some special form of Flexbox that Figma created, but it's not really Flexbox. And there's, if you, if you want, we can map the differences between them, but it's not really, really Flexbox. And then well, what's want the to difference for, for designers that don't know what's the difference? Like, mm -hmm. what is the difference? Well, there, there's, there's, many, there, there's many differences. So for example, in Flexbox, um, there is a, there, there's a separate fate that you can have for children and for the parent. So the parent can say something like, all the children flex, uh, all, the, all the children stretch, sorry. But then, and you have like five children. And then one of the children, you say to it, oh yeah, like ignore father, right? Ignore the, 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 parent, uh, the parent container that has the flex stretch. Uh, you do flex left and top, right? For example. Now, a lot of, in Figma, it's, it's an, an impossible feat. You cannot do that. Um, Plus, um, in Figma, everything will be dispersed into different places. So the place you would control things like hug content or fill container, right? Um, you would have it in the sizes, right? In the module up on top. But the place that you decide things like the, the auto layout is going to be down a couple of models in a completely different place. But in reality, when you control how things behave and how much space they occupy, it's the same thing. So you will tell all your kids to stretch. It's the same Flexbox module that you told them to go top and left or whatever. Um, yeah. There's things that just, just don't exist in auto layout that exist in Flexbox, like the ability to have space around, right? In Figma, the only thing you can do, you can do auto in the gap. And then it, it's an equivalent in Flexbox to having space between. Right, so it pushes everything to the sides and distributes it in evenly, right, the space between the things, right, but yeah. not around the things. And in Flexbox, you can have space around. Sometimes that's exactly what you want. You want space around. How do you do it in Figma? You you cheat. So you have padding on the side that you shouldn't have had, right, and and etc. 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 There's a lot of things like that. Um, wrapping is not so. For example, in Figma, if you, I don't know if you noticed, you can have um, Either vertical, either vertical auto layout, or horizontal, or wrapping. This is nonsense because wrapping has nothing to do with direction. Wrapping is a separate property that you might incorporate in when you when you design stuff. You can either trigger it or not. So it's either wrap or, or no wrap. Right? It's it's a boolean uh, decision, but it has nothing to do with the direction. So you should be able to have wrap yes, wrap true when it's vertical, wrap true when it's horizontal, and both of them reverse, right? It's so not instead. Reverse. It's, it's not, not instead. And in Figma, it's, 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 so what they actually did, like if you, if, you, if you try to measure like what happened, they actually said wrapping only makes sense for horizontal. If, if you'll choose wrap, it basically means direction horizontal and wrap true. But they made it as the triple selector with either of the three, which is nonsense. Yeah. And, so it teaches more and more, and there's a lot of things like that. It teaches more and more and more and more things um, that are just wrong. Or I wouldn't say wrong because it's like a relative term, but it's not like real life code. It's not like CSS or iOS or Android. Um, 
And eventually, you know, I have issue with that because um, when you create a tool, you create, um, it, it's like you create a ditch in the snow, right? And, and eventually everything will follow that, those tracks, right? That you laid out in the snow. And so if you lay the tracks in, in a certain way, everyone will start learning about life, about interactivity, about layouting from those tracks you just created in the snow. And if you create the wrong tracks, you actually create a whole lot of damage because you generation upon generation teach people the wrong thing, the wrong mental model, because eventually the coders will have to take the whatever Figma outputs and sort of convert the thing that you do did in auto layout into their own thing. And then if you change something, the thing you changed need, needs, again, some translator into, okay, but what it would actually mean in code, right? And I'm like, but, but why? Couldn't you just absolutely match the two and be done with that? Or at least approximate it, right? Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. But the thing that I'm afraid of is like the, the steep learning curve. Like people don't want is to it? learn. It's a, tough, it's a tough thing to do. And especially today when like so many designers are like, are, are like they know the Sigma way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so wait, what, what is the future? So look, um, I have my own take uh, on the future, I'm working on that future. That's what we do in Jux. We try to create a tool that will do just that, will marry the realism of Webflow and the genericness and canvas nature of uh, Figma. Because one of, the, one of the suckiest experience in Webflow is the fact that you're stuck on that 100% view of the, of the page, right? It's always that, it's always the page. Uh, and if you like want to have three variations of that page, one next to another, as you would do in Figma in three seconds, right? You would zoom out, all drag uh, something that you have and you want to explore, and you would immediately see that right in front of your eyes. And it's really, really helpful if you want to brainstorm ideas when you're in the sandbox um, you know, mindset currently, right? It's like you're, you're messing around, um, trying things. Um, Webflow is very stiff in that regard because it's really, it's a, it's a building tool, not a designing tool per se. But wait, wait, we forgot, we forgot about the new player, Framer. What do you think about Framer? Yeah, so Framer actually goes in a direction that I like. Um, and it's also trying to sort of marry um, Figma and Webflow-ish. Um, I think... It, it sort of marries it in the wrong way slightly because it allows more freedom than I think is warranted. Um, I'll try to explain why. So in, in Framer, by default, if you put something on the page, uh, you can drag it around freely, right? Um, unless you take measures to not do that. So um, like... In, in CSS, you have position uh, property, and you can either have static or you can have um, relative, absolute, fixed, st sticky, you know, things like that. And so the thing is that when you, any tool that will allow you to drag around things freely, what it actually is doing behind the scenes is making it position absolute, okay? Now, the problem with position absolute is that um, you almost never want to use that unless you must, because position absolute is very stiff. 
uh, it's it's by design not responsive because it's not part of the flow of the DOM itself. So the the, the elements, the nodes and the DOM, they push each other down. And if you want something to hover above something else, you make position absolute. Now, Figma is position absolute by default. Like everything is position absolute unless you put it inside of an auto layouted frame. Um, Framer basically does the same, right? So you really need to actively take a stack, which is basically as staying Flexbox vertical uh, or Flexbox horizontal if you have like columns. Right? So it's either a vertical stack, like an X stack, or a, or a Y stack, right? So vertical or horizontal. And only inside those stacks will eventually you basically work um, not with position absolute. And what it allows users to do is to mess around and do a bunch of things in position absolute and then wonder why when they try uh, to see the width, you know, to, to mess around with the width of the browser, it wouldn't really respond properly. Of course, it wouldn't respond properly because you just made it position absolute. So it sort of teaches everything you to do the a, wrong thing. Everything is position absolute, like in Framer, mm -hmm. like what, unless what you, you unless to... you put it unless you put it in a stack. Yes, that's the problem. And um, every time you and, and they don't and they they don't talk about it. They don't. They wouldn't course. say a thing. Yeah. Of course, because because so, they don't they don't want you to mess to to, to even. Um, to even mess around with positioning, it's not it's not the thing that they want to your mind to be preoccupied. Um, and the same thing with Figma, right? It's position absolute by default. Everything um, has the X and Y uh, data points uh, regarding where they are in comparison to the zero zero of the axes. Um, so but yeah, don't I, you think I, that designers need the freedom and flexibility to mm, try stuff freely I do. on the canvas? I, I do, I completely do. That's why um, in Jux, the canvas itself is like in Figma in the sense that you can put things on the canvas freely and drag them on the canvas freely. But the minute you want to drag something into an object, into a div, right? Immediately gravitation works. So inside that div by default is position static and display block or flex or whatever it is that you're currently doing but you really need to deliberately you yourself as a user if you put something inside of a div right you yourself need to make the position absolute by yourself proactively to make that actually position absolute so by default everything will just work as it works in auto layout so things will push things around there is going to be forced order right with gaps and stuff like that the way it so should let me be. understand. So, so let me understand. I, I, as a designer, I can do whatever I want, but as mm -hmm. soon as I try to put it inside the div, then it become like I need to be conscious to to the to the stuff that's going on in the property panel, like what's mm -hmm. going sure. on with the flex, exactly. flex box and everything. Exactly. Smart. So, if you want to mess around, so you have the freedom on the canvas on the one hand because on the canvas itself gravitation is meaningless, right? You want to float around in space. You want to be free. But inside each, so suppose like it, it would you be- should have called, You should have called the company like something with gravitation. gravitation it's smart. Yeah. We, yeah. Had, uh, we, had, we had many, many discussions on how to call it. It had many different names and it started from a different name. It started from Project Dreams. That, that was even before I 
uh, joined the company, but yeah, eventually it's Jux. And it's Jux because uh, it's a shorthand for juxtaposition because the whole, the whole point of the company is to, of the tool, not only the company, is to juxtapose design and code and make them sort of collide into one thing. Um, so basically the, the idea is that you have the canvas, the canvas and it's free and you roam around and you can put elements on the canvas freely but then once you start building something, so the equivalent in Figma would be if you put a frame on the canvas, immediately the frame is auto layout. So, so just imagine a world in which if you create a frame, it's auto layout by default, not regular by default, yeah. right? And because it's auto, auto layout by default, everything you put in it uh, forces itself into a forced order. Yeah. Now, what I, um, so my contention, my, my, my theory about this is that um, you want freedom Unless I detach between, it. and if I detach a component or a frame or whatever, like it goes into the the canvas mode and it goes around well, freely. You need to. Well, what do you mean by detach? Because like if um, if I get if I get a if I have a component uh, on Sigma, right? Yeah. And so when I detach it, I know what I can do with it. There are no instances, and I'm is not it? like. But what you're saying is that if you put something inside a div and then create a component for a repetitive use, what happens mm -hmm. if I detach a component? Like, well, nothing. It's still... it will just, nothing will happen in the sense of the layout, uh, the layout choice, if it was display uh, block or plex or whatever, in the position choices, there will all remain exactly intact. It will just cease being uh, instance. So it will cease being part of the component. It will just be like a frame. In, in, yeah. in Juxland is just the div because again, frames are, so even think about this, there's no frames in life, in, in, in CSS and in code, there's divs, right? So even the, even the taxonomy, like the, the, the way things are named, um, we are all for, uh, at least trying to make them close to, to what's in reality, because, you know, you need to eventually communicate with developers. Um, you don't want to be talking um, Hebrew while they're talking English, right? It's, it's weird. Yeah. You would want the same language. Like I say that those... like, I said, I, like I talked about it like four or five years ago when I was teaching a sketch, like I, I told them like, you, you should speak the same lingo with your developers. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, when you're, when you're looking at design system, like each controller, each component has a different name and it's a Isn't mess. It? Isn't like, it? Exactly. It's a big, big mess. I'll, I'll, I'll give you even some more interesting, uh, deep down, uh, interesting facts. So for example, um, there's a checkbox component, right? That you would probably have if you have any sort of, uh, forms in your SAS application or, or website even. Um, so you'll, you'll create a checkbox, uh, and then what the developer will do is that it will use um, the native HTML element called input, input type checkbox, right? And it will actually, the HTML itself will render it as a checkbox, right? And then you can style things if you want, yada, yada, yada. There's a uh, there's way to style checkboxes that are um, ugly uh, underneath the surface, but pretty above the surface, right? You would have to hide the actual checkbox and create a div and put an asset inside of that div uh, to make it look like your specific checkbox because you don't want to rely on the defaults of the browsers. This is all ugly. 
But what's more interesting is the fact that if you have, for example, a component like a toggle switch, right? A toggle, um, circle that goes, and um, you'll think, okay, so in Figma, I will just create another component called the toggle, right? But in real life code, there are no toggles. There's not such an element in HTML elements that is called a toggle. What, what, how people do toggles? They create a checkbox. So literally it's written there, input type checkbox. They hide the actual rectangle of the checkbox, but toggle in its essence is just a checkboard. It's just a checkbox redesigned. That's it. And like, shh, nobody tells you that, right? Um, so you thought you just designed a toggle. What the developer did is undid your design, created the checkbox, restyled it to be like your toggle, created an animation on the, on the you know, circle moving, and, and was done with that, right? So this is just, just, you know, little details of, and there's plenty of those. So if you, if you actually start comparing uh, the, the actual components of how do they actually get built layer by layer, node by node in the DOM, uh, in real life code and how they're built in Figma, you'll 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 discover a world of difference. Yeah. I, so I think tell about me the, more. So tell me more about speaking the same lingo. <laughs> yeah, I think that like I'm thinking about your university. Like I'm thinking about the Webflow University, which is mm -hmm. so amazing. I think that yes, what you, what you need to build like to educate designers and wow. It's going to be a tough one. Well, look, actually, I think Webflow helped us a lot in the fact that, um, first of all, it had a great role, like it's a great role model of how to build a university, right? So they did a phenomenal job with their, you know, university. I've seen all the videos. Um, it was production quality through the roof. And um, and if, if we ever start, you know, we're, we're very young, like you, you, Webflow is... The, it's a 10 or 11 year old behemoth in, in comparison to us, right? So, um, so we have some time, uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a great role model of how to do it beautifully. But I think they already educated a lot of the potential uh, designers. And also Figma did a lot of the education that is going to be relevant for us because um, think about this. Like Figma did something very hard. They made auto layout which is essentially a form of flags box, as we've said, uh, something that is absolutely common in the way regular, regular designers, product UI, UX designers, uh, build their screens, right? So that's new. Like if you compare it to everything before that, um, the naive versions of Sketch, XD, and of course, Illustrator. And but there are so no implications to do it wrong. That's the difference. Well, there's no implications for the designer that he can see immediately. There are implications when he starts to handing it over to developers and it's all wrong. Um, yeah, but I it's would not his fault, you know? It's other, it's the developer's fault, so... Yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would starkly disagree. Uh, but um, look, no, I, what I'm I would... kidding, but you know what I mean. Like, I'm talking yeah, about sure. the fact that he's doing something and eventually it goes to the developer. And, yes. You know, like the developers... Like sure. Out. Look, eventually, um, I think that it also hurts the designers themselves for many reasons. I, I agree. I agree. For the even for like practical. So leave leave aside the handoff itself. For practical reasons of I just created something. I want to make something larger, sure. and I want 
by making it larger uh, to make it push everything else immediately, right? If I constructed my auto layout um, scaffolding correctly, I'll be able to do that quickly and be done with my change in five minutes. If I created it incorrectly with a bunch of classical frames, so frames without auto layout, um, I'll make something higher and then it will overflow into something else. And then I'll have to move that one and move the one after it and the one after it. And it's a whole cacophony. And if you want something much, um, much more interesting, like to take something and to see how it works in a wider resolution, if you didn't build your auto layouts correctly, you're screwed. You're going to waste so much time uh, manually recreating stuff and you'll probably get it wrong. Um, which is, by the way, but, partly... But it stays inside the business, inside the company. Like real users won't see it. That's the difference. Right, right. It will just take you more time as a designer. Exactly. So you will waste more time. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you're wasting time uh, moving around frames that you poorly constructed, you're not doing something else that is valuable for the company. Like, I don't know, talking to customers, solving something actual. But your managers wouldn't know that. That's the difference. <laughs> right. When right. it comes, right. when things come from real users, your managers will know it. Yep, that's the that's, true. that's the whole difference. Well, the it will just make the velocity of your shipping slower, and so that is something that might so that might be a KPI for you as a designer in a you know in a in a self aware uh, squad that sort of looks at the at the at the stopwatch you know between each each and every other delivery you give right so uh, yeah. Um, it affects. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I really believe, like, I, I believe in, I believe in your product, but the only thing that I'm concerned is the cultural thing that mm -hmm. people want, like, they, they wouldn't want to try new things. It's so difficult. It's so hard to, yep. to change a culture, to change a market. Yep, definitely. Uh, to, to educate people. Um, You're completely correct. Fig <laughs> and I think that the Figma's success is based on making things easier. Like, they lied to designer. Is it? Let's, let's be honest for a sec. They lied. Mm -hmm. It's a lie, right? Is it? In a way. Well, but... they didn't lie more than anyone before then. So like Sketch lied even more if you, if you like if you call that a lie, right? So Yeah, I understand what you're saying. The thing is that people don't want the truth. Mm -hmm. I heard that Jeff Bezos uh, he said that people don't want the truth. We're sure. a social uh, we're a social animal. Yeah, we like social animals. We like we would prefer to 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 listen to to you know things that we love and adore. Mm -hmm but we wouldn't want to know the truth. That's true. So, uh, you're I, talking I, about the truth. One right. source of truth. So one, so one way to combat... So first of all, the friction that you're eloquently uh, describing here uh, is all too real, right? I'm the first to admit it. Um, as an evangelist of Figma and Webflow, I know what the friction was to make people use properly Figma and Webflow. Um, the... The way to combat this, so like, okay, so what do you do, right? How do you, how do you win? Um, as far as I'm concerned, the best way to do that is to offer something so valuable, orders of magnitude more valuable, um, that people are willing to take the hit. They're willing to, to go through the friction 
learn the new UI, the new way of thinking, the whatever, because they're going to get something very valuable in return. And if we're correct in our assumptions uh, in Jux, um, the thing that you will get in return is that you will, you will achieve the same level. It will be the holy grail, basically, as far as I'm concerned. Otherwise, I wouldn't be building it with my friends and colleagues. Um, the holy grail is, the, is, is such. You want something that eventually you'll be the total controller of as a designer, right? So you eventually will use all the real elements the same way that you will drag a checkbox and it will be a real checkbox. And you will drag a dropdown that will be a real dropdown or a select box or an input, text input, right? Whatever, whatever element you will drag and make it a component and create variants in a variant uh, matrix the same way you would do in, in Figma, uh, when you will do that and you will be the total controller of all the styles and all the tokens that you're using for all the different decisions, and eventually if you push that and the developer pulls that, which is the, the flow that we have in Jux, and the developer pulls that and he pulls that already done. So the front of the front end is done. The only thing the that the developer is, needs to do now. Yeah, but the question is, is do they want this responsibility? I, well, I, I get think the control, they do. but the question is, do I want this responsibility? Do I want I think like, they, total control over my design? I think they do. And the reason I think they do is that if you look at almost all the things that um, people are writing on you know, Medium and other platforms regarding, hey, this is what we did with the developers to make sure our Figmas resemble life even more so that we're less surprised when the developers actually develop whatever it is they develop. Like the whole promise yeah. of design systems, like if you, if you actually like rehash it in simple language, the whole promise of design system is being less uh, confused and being less surprised when eventually things get developed, right? Because if you standardize things, what is standardization? Standardization is minimization of surprise, actually, right? In a way, yeah. In a way, right? So if I standardize something, that means that I can uh, predict the future better. Because of the standard, I can expect something, right? This is why you can drive in other countries but your own, because you expect the whole way uh, roads work to be consistent, to be the standard. That's why standards are good. And if, um, if you know that you are the sole controller of the stylistic part of the UI and there's no developer to even, so there's no handoff, nobody is taking your designs and reconstructing them. There's, it's already constructed in Jux. The only thing the developer is left to do is to evaluate it, make sure it makes total sense, and then hook up all the logic and the data and all the things that developers actually like doing, right? Because there's a whole... There's a whole area that we didn't speak about, and it's, do you think front-end developers themselves like the process in which they have to take the designs in Figma, painstakingly inspect them in dev mode or not in dev mode, whatever, and eventually rebuild everything by themselves in code, only to be then yelled at by the designers that they missed something, right? Do you think they, they like that process? If you talk to enough developers, the answer will be a startup no. So the, yeah. the, the, less, the less reconstructing they need to do, the happier the developers are. Yeah. So I, I believe in that 
Um, I believe in the, this idea. I hope that it will work, you know, my uh, stance on it. So, okay, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Beautiful. I, I really enjoy like having this conversation. And what, what would you like to say to designers in general, like about the future of UI design and about your, the way that you see things? I think that, um, so, okay, one, one beautiful equation that I learned, um, so I think five, six years ago as a UI, as a UI UX product designer with a lot of slashes, uh, in between them. Um, is that there's an, there's like, if everything is right in the company, there's, uh, an equilibrium between authority and accountability, right? So if everything goes correctly, um, you can call the shot, but it's your ass if that shot, if that decision was wrong, right? So you have the accountability, but you have the authority. Uh, bad places is places where you have a lot of accountability, but no authority. Uh, and yeah. two, two easy places is places, and usually this is for some bosses, is that when you have authority, but no accountability, you can always blame the person down. Now, but, but if everything is good, there's an equilibrium between the accountability and the authority. Why is that important? Because I think that what designers will gain in tools like Jux or others, right? We're not the only people who think how to bridge that gap, right? Whatever tool eventually wins in that, in that regard, um, a future in which a designer can up his level of accountability will also be a future in which he can up his level of authority. And boy, people love authority. So the only yeah. way to reach higher authority is to reach higher accountability as an equilibrium. Right? So, yeah. Erez, thank you so much. Um, that's it for uh, this episode of the Juicy Patterns podcast. And uh, thank you for listening. And I see you in the next episode. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.